With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, Senders. Welcome to episode 24 of the segment podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Wanted to say a couple special shout outs here. Special thank you to 7IDP for supporting the show. 7 Intelligent Design Protection, which is great mountain bike gear that doesn't break the bank, but is also very comfortable for your male and female athletes. 7IDP, if you find something you like at 7protection.com, please use promo code SEGMENT for 15% off of your purchase. Again, promo code SEGMENT for 15% off your purchase. Next is Tasco. Thank you so much, Tasco, the awesome shirt company, for supporting these segment podcasts. As you know, Tasco has the amazing gloves, shirts, and now the shorts. Take a look at the Scout shorts if you guys get a chance. The Scout shorts for mountain biking actually is a great pair of shorts you can wear on the mountain as well as in your regular life. The Scout shorts, if you do find that you like something there, please hit the uh, Tasco link code in the description and uh, you'll get a 10% off of your purchase. And lastly, thank you so much to the Bole brands for protecting my eyes while I'm out on the trails. The Bole brands include brands like Spy Optic, Serengeti, and Bole. I'm currently running the Spy Foundation goggles and I think, I believe they are the best foundation. They are the best goggles in the mountain biking industry as we speak today. Thank you so much to the sponsors. Let's get over to the episode. Folks, I had a great opportunity to meet with Chris, aka Triple Whip One. He is the gentleman that was on the show, the YouTube show, that did the white line out in Sedona, Arizona. Chris is a trials writer, and I got a special treat on this show because he was joined by Aaron Lutzi, who is a professional trials writer and a photographer and filmer for the sport of mountain biking and take a listen to how they were able to follow mountain biking from its origin of free ride to where it was then and to where it is today really cool episode on um, how the sport has progressed and i really enjoy talking to these guys hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will see you on the backside of the podcast And it is showtime. Welcome back, senders, to the podcast. This is episode 24. I got two special guests, two awesome mountain bikers. And uh, the first one is Chris, a.k.a. Triple Whip, which I met him out in Sedona. I kind of got lost on a ride, and I was heading over towards um, Broken Arrow. I was going to try to do Hogwash, Hogs Heaven, and I see this dude going up to do the white line. <laughs> so had to stay and watch. And that's how I met Chris. And uh, and then through Chris, I got to meet Aaron tonight. And Aaron is a professional trials writer as well. Both of you guys are trials writers, but really bring, as we were saying backstage, a good potpourri of skills to uh, the mountain bike, which is great. So thank you guys for being on the show tonight. You're welcome. Yeah, I was glad to be here. 
Chris and Chris and Aaron, if you wouldn't mind just telling the folks a little bit about uh, who you are and your background so they can get a flavor of, of your ride style and um, where have you been? Sure. Um, so my name is Chris. Uh, my YouTube channel is Ride with Chris. Uh, I grew up um, in the Northeast, basically, in the mid-90s. Um, got into mountain biking. Uh, my, my first bike was a, a GT Timberline. And um, just right away, um, I had older friends that I would ride with uh, that would just kind of push you to do more and more. And uh, um, it just kind of just kind of went from there, just you know, breaking parts and upgrading things, and you know, progressing, and um, you know, just the whole kind of East Coast hardcore uh, style, if you will, or what it came to be known as. Um, you know, back in the day, um, I grew up with uh, some people might know Aaron Chase. Uh, he rode for many years for Cannondale, um, and I believe now he's with uh, Commensal. Um, and, uh, but it was really awesome getting to see him ride. Cause you know, among our group of friends, he, you know, here, here we are and he's just, you know, he's just way up here. And so that was really cool to, um, have those influences, um, which, you know, stick with me to this day. Um, and I just kind of carried that. I, I was in the service for a little bit and I've been all around the U S and that, that East coast, like, you know, go all out, like do whatever you can type style is just always kind of. Um, stayed with me and here I am in, in Arizona um, enjoying the great weather and getting to ride um, I'm an ambassador rider for Giant which is really cool and um, yeah getting to live my passion so it's uh, it's pretty cool yeah that's, that's very cool yeah thank you for your service too Chris that's uh, that that's yeah. awesome and uh, and Aaron t- tell us a little bit about uh, you as well yeah, uh, my name is Aaron Lutzi. I'm a professional trials rider, but also, uh, you know, kind of grew up as a trials rider. And in the Midwest, I grew up in Wisconsin. I rode trials for quite some time and then picked up a camera, started filming my friends. We started doing our thing. Um, I fell in with the East Coast crew as well. Eventually <laughs> took Match Videos in, which was a video series that I started, which originally was created to document kind of the growing trial scene. All these trials riders started riding more street and park and and that eventually ended up turning into essentially the roots of of free ride on the east coast in a lot of ways i fell in with uh dh productions and worked with don hampton for a really long time got to know aaron chase uh, i still remember the first time seeing him ride was yeah just blew my mind i hadn't had that kind of moment ever really at that point and seeing a guy that talented throw down just nonchalant was unreal but uh was out there for quite some time and uh, then, you know, made my way out to the West Coast to Portland, Oregon, um, and uh, just got to explore really both coasts in terms of riding, in terms of, you know, riders and, and filming and, and traveling and stuff like that. Uh, after that, I actually started working for a company called Freecaster, which we made the first round of live streams for the World Cups. So if you were watched before it was on Red Bull TV, if you were watching it on the Internet, uh, we were the ones that, that started that. So. I've got oh, a couple wow. stories from uh, behind the scenes with Rob Warner on his first day on the job that uh, I'd be happy to share. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I've had a chance to do a lot of really cool things and, and now kind of coming full circle. I also have a YouTube channel called Lutzi Time and mm-hmm. it's uh, a lot of trials and mountain bike <clears throat> tutorials based in trials riding where I'm just trying to share as much of the knowledge that I've gained over the you know 25 years of riding where uh, you can, you know, learn everything from how to track stand forever to riding up and over stuff. 
And, uh, you know, hopefully as the world opens back up again, I'll be able to travel and ride with some of my friends that we made along the way and do some more stuff. But uh, that's that's pretty much it. Man, that's a cool background too. So th- it's crazy how the bike takes you guys from 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 beginning to so many places. It's such a cool adventure. Um, for those of us who are newer to mountain biking or just know of, you know, DH, Enduro, and Trail, what is Trials? Like, what what is that? Um, so Trials riding, um, it's basically started in, in Germany and Europe. Uh, back in the day, um, the... Uh, father uh, trials trials riders that had sons that were introducing them to moto trials would put them on a bicycle that had small wheels usually 20 inch wheels and that's how they would practice and then graduate to the dirt bike and then that of course took off and became uh bike trials um we call that a mod trials bike with the small wheels um some people on this podcast might have heard of hans ray um tons of old school footage of him riding in the uh early 80s and and uh, throughout the 90s um uh, ot pie uh i'm gonna kind of butcher his name i'm sorry aaron uh, uh caesar cants cants uh, caesar Canyas, yeah Canyas, yeah um, incredible rider. And so, um, and it's basically getting the bicycle up and over obstacles, but without taking your, uh, your feet off the pedals or, or, uh, dabbing, um, mm. and, and competition style, uh, you get up to five dabs. If you put both feet down, that's, you know, you're out. Um, and you usually will have it like a taped off section where you have to, uh, you can't go outside of the tape, um, in competition style. And then, um, from that it kind of progressed into street trials aaron touched on a little bit where you're basically um going to a you know, like jumping on a, on a cement picnic table or on a trash can or doing a, like a pivot 360 off a wall or something like that and uh and that scene um kind of kind of took off from there but uh but uh we'll get more into that later but anyway that's that's the basics of trials riding and you can really do it on any type of bikes uh especially now with like danny mccaskill you know he'll be on his enduro bike and be popping up a five foot wall you know to gap or something like that you know so um but traditionally it started with the smaller bikes and then stock would be a 26 inch wheel trials bike um, and, and so on. Um, but anyway, so those are, those are the kind of general origins of what bike trials is and where it, uh, where it came from. Wow. Yeah. The only, the only thing I would add to that, I, and this is just my own personal thing, but I just think, um, I think trials riding is magic and, and it's a, oh, yeah. it's a, you know, it's like a magic trick. Like it's the same bike that you ride, but because I know the, the technique or the trick, I can just make it do what I want it to do. And, and, you know, when you learn these different techniques, you build and build and build and build. And all of a sudden you're seeing all these new lines just like kind of create like, oh, I could jump from there to there to there that you may not have previously seen. Or you're riding down the trail and you realize that this giant bolt in your way is actually something you're going to have fun on, not have to swerve around <laughs> or whatever. And uh, that's what made it fun for me in the beginning. And that's what still makes it fun for me. And, you know, why I've been able to really enjoy just riding every kind of bike because so many of those skills transfer over, you know, the basic balance that obviously everyone knows comes with trials is a big element of it, but just even being able to manipulate your body position, being able to modulate your brakes and your pedals, you know, together, that's like the highest level that you can do on a bike in, in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like this, 
this ultimate cheat code for getting good at bikes. <laughs> oh, that's a cool way to put it. The cheat code. Yeah. yeah. No, for <laughs> that's sure. Very cool. And we had a question from Adam. Um, he asked, um, how much harder is trials on a 29er and full suspension? Uh, good question, actually. So when I was with the giant demo team uh, traveling uh, last year before COVID, uh, actually right before COVID hit, um, the bike they gave me was a, uh, a trans uh, 29er, um, a, a 120, 130 full suspension bike. And kind of to go on what Aaron was saying, um, where you know you learn and you build your skill base with trials. Basically, the the better you get, um, really the sky's the limit. And for me, I've been riding since '97, so um, for me, I can pretty much jump on any bike and just kind of start, you know, kicking it around again. Like he was saying, a lot of the, you you ingrain these moves in your head, and you know, it's pretty much the same for every bike. You know, pedal kicks and. Uh, balancing on the front and it's just a matter of like getting used to the bike. So anyway, um, so I was on the 29er um, full suspension bike and honestly, in, in with, it, with it set in trail mode, so the travel's kind of, you know, it's got a little bit of, of hardness to it. Um, it really wasn't bad at all. I could gap with it. I could balance. I could front wheel pivot with it. Um, uh, I could bunny hop up stuff. It actually went up stuff a lot easier with those big wheels just to do what's called a bump tap where, see if I can get this right, where you hit your front tire and the bike will just kind of travel up. Those moves actually I found were easier compared to my, uh, you know, on my, my hardtail uh, trials bike. So, um, yeah, when you get those techniques down, it really is universal across most uh, bike platforms, I would say. Yeah, that's definitely when I watched you ride when we were in Sedona, I, I felt like I was looking at a magician. You were <laughs> creating lines that, that I didn't think were there. I mean, I'm not, you know, a pro mountain bike or anything, but I generally try to stay on the trail and I do things. But like Aaron was saying, there'd be a rock and a corner and there'd be a gap and you would take it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I guess that's a line. <laughs> and, and, and you would figure out how to manipulate your body and bike to get it over. And it looks so smooth. Um, it's great. And I love how Aaron called that, like, it's the ultimate cheat code, you know, like you got to learn these skills to progress, to see things that you didn't see before and still have fun on obstacles that are now part of the trail, which is awesome, which is awesome. You guys, um, take us back. I know we were talking about a little bit of the history. We talked about the history of trials. Um, but as far as mountain biking goes, you guys are, you guys are, you know, tuned in, you guys started riding a, a while back. What, what is the history of mountain biking? So, yeah, uh, awesome question. And that kind of segues into um, the whole uh, premise of this uh, podcast. So let's go back to really the late 70s where mountain biking started with guys like uh, Joe Breeze, um, Gary Fisher, um, the, the clunkers, as it were, where they were taking beach cruiser looking bikes, putting more aggressive tires on them and just sending it down, um, you know, fire roads basically, um, which then later progressed into the eight, um, the eighties, uh, where you had the, the bike boom, uh, you had the mountain bike boom and you had the BMX boom in, um, in the eighties and, uh, where just sales were taking off. Technology was every year, like better bikes were coming out and it was just increasing exponentially. Um, and part of more, what I'm going to talk about is the, 
uh, um, as we get later into the conversation, how uh, when the mountain bike scene was progressing kind of into the BMX scene, how there was uh, clashing there. Um, so to kind of set that up uh, in the later 80s, where the bike boom kind of continued into the into the 90s, we didn't have our kind of lull until the early 2000s, where Norba closed up and you know UCI was going through some stuff. Uh, whereas BMX, uh, Dennis McCoy uh, said uh, in, uh, famously in an interview uh, in 1987 the top prize for uh, winning a BMX comp was a Toyota truck in 1988, 1989, it was like a hundred bucks, <laughs> you know? Wow. So it's a huge, huge shift. And in, into the, uh, really through the early nineties, you had pretty much guys like Matt Hoffman and Dennis kind of trying to carry the whole scene. Uh, fast forward to summer 95, you had the extreme games better known as the X games. And that was really a big breath of fresh air for the BMX scene to kind of recoup from this lull where new tricks were happening. Uh, skate parks were opening that, um, uh, you know, uh, with the X games, it got broadcasted to a much uh, wider range of people. And they were, a lot of these people were seeing this stuff for the first time. And, um, and then in 96, you had the winter games. Um, and around 96, 97 is when the mountain bike scene started to kind of get involved in that. If you go back and actually look at chain smoke, uh, which was a really well-known and popular uh, mountain bike video. Then um, there's you have Lee Boracares with his trial segment. You have uh, uh, Todd Lines and Fuzzy Hall dirt jumping mountain bikes and doing backflips and X ups and you know all this stuff. And and that's where the the BMX and mountain bike scenes started to um, come together really. And hmm. kind of tying into to my background, there was definitely uh, some clashing with the progression. Mountain bikers were like, what the heck are you doing? Get a BMX bike if you're going to do that stuff. And the BMXers were like the same thing. Like if you're going to be on a mountain bike, do mountain bike stuff, like stay off our skate parks, stay out of our dirt jumps. And, and, you know, so there was definitely some, you know, some struggle there with that, um, you know, as, as with anything progressing. Um, but th that was really the foundation into, into what we have today with, you know, Rampage and Crankworks and um, all these modern amenities of, of, uh, of biking that, um, you know, had its, uh, uh, had its roots and all of that. And the reason I'm so glad Aaron is here uh, to share some of his insight is because he was, uh, as a filmmaker, you know, he was part of that scene back then. He filmed and witnessed a lot of, you know, again, the, the crossover of mountain bikes, not just being on trails, but dirt jumping and skate parks and street riding and free riding and, and kind of leading all into, um, into that scene. So yeah, the BMXers basically to sum up, you know, they felt like they were getting their, their feet stepped on. And, and I guess in some cases they were, you know, you'd see a BMXer do a tail whip, a backflip, a bar spin, and then, you know, we'd want to copy it. Um, I had mentioned Aaron earlier in match seven, you had um, uh, Jeffrey nothing from, from Mushroomhead uh, interview where he talks about that, where, you know, the BMXers were like, well, why don't you go just do BMX stuff? And it's like, well, we don't want to do that. We want to do this stuff on mountain bikes. And we didn't know where this, we had no idea at all back then that the scene was going to be what it is today. Mm -hmm. That's just what we wanted to do. And, and so to see it, to progress to that, like kind of like our fruits of our labors pay off. For me, it's incredible um, to, to see that and, and, and kids get to enjoy it and watch, you know, Red Bull TV and, and see all and Instagram and social media, and they have all this access to these awesome riders and can, you know, connect with them where, you know, back then it was, you had to like write into a magazine 
<laughs> you know, yeah. Hope that you let her publish or something. So, um, or make your, your make your own videos too. That worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, with that, I'll, I'll hand it off to Aaron, just kind of laying that that groundwork. But, yeah, to sort of see it come full circle like that was was really cool, you know, coming out of that struggle. Um, so, yeah. That's very cool. And and you guys, were, were these writers, these these pioneers like Fuzzy Hall, were the, were, did they come from the BMX scene? Did they come from the trial scene? Or did they just start and just started doing this stuff? Well, it really came from a lot of different backgrounds, which is what made it so interesting and, and so many different styles kind of came together. You know, one thing that Chris was talking about was, you know, how this how this was all kind of growing along and 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 mountain bikers showing up at dirt jumps and stuff like that. And one thing to also bear in mind is that at that time there weren't, you know, high rise bars that were 31A, you know, whatever. Like that wasn't a thing. We didn't have dirt jump handlebars. We didn't have free ride crank sets. We didn't have you know, any, anything, you know, everything was being kind of cobbled together. There wasn't a complete bike that you could go buy. Um, you know, even Aaron Chase was riding street on a lefty fork, you know, like, well, <laughs> you know, um, so, so I think that's a really big consideration that not only were they progressing the sport at maybe it's most exponential level, but they were doing it basically on, on cross country bikes or downhill or dual slalom bikes. Uh, the bikes definitely were not custom you know they weren't set up just right to do it but that's also what made it so interesting you know you have this group of trials riders who you know maybe they have a suspension fork on and a seat on their bike not the most hardcore of trials guys but they're trying to do more street-based stuff um like jeff lanowski and, and that crew where they're bringing real tech tricks to the free ride scene and then you've got you know guys like darren barracloth who came from BMX who can absolutely throw it down on, uh, on a big jump and, you know, was riding mountain bikes cause you know, he lived in Canada and, and had a bunch of friends that were mountain bikers and did that as kind of just a fun thing to do. And all the tricks transferred over pretty easily. In fact, there were quite a few BMXers that came over. There's uh, Chris Duncan, Will Erickson, a lot of BMXers like came in and checked it out and did their thing and then went back to BMX. I think Claw is maybe one of the few that really like, stuck around and and really contributed probably the most out of anybody from the bmx community but everybody kind of had these different roots and made this big melting pot and i think one of the other things that was really interesting about that era specifically that i don't think everybody necessarily got at the time what was that these top riders that were going to skate parks and riding skate parks that wasn't the end-all be-all in their mind they were looking at it like a gym, like you go to the gym to lift heavy things or, you know, run on the treadmill for however long so that you can go outside and do epic stuff, right? You can run a marathon or you can, you know, whatever, right? Um, and they looked at it the same way of, well, I'm going to learn it here at, uh, at this skate park. You know, I'm going to learn a hand plant over a spine. And then I'm going to go find a giant log and I'm going to hand plant over that thing because a mountain bike is the only bike that could do that. But I have to learn it in this skate park format first because it's smaller, safer, more controlled. Then I'm going to take it into this next spot. I'm going to learn flares on this quarter because next week I'm going to Utah and build the same uh, transition, but I'm going to do it off of a huge thing. So I think like there was a lot of nuance in that time too, that not, like not everyone saw the final vision of where, where we were trying to go. And uh, you weren't, we weren't going to explain it to everybody either, but we knew kind of like where things were headed and, 
and uh, everybody was kind of building toward that and and uh well it ended up working out just fine <laughs> yeah it did it really did it's it's cool because you were saying that in competition um the money really wasn't there in this in this new hybrid world so these folks were motivated by by the innovation of it or the stoke of it or just pushing the envelope what was the motivation for some of these folks yeah i know i know for myself and my group of friends uh we were just trying to, we just, again, we just like to do that stuff, you know, and it was, you know, again, a hodgepodge of, of trials, uh, street riding, dirt jumping, just basically progressing the scene. You know, once we realized, and as Aaron touched on, where, you know, yeah, you were basically taking small cross-country frames, putting BMX parts on them, and you know, having at it, but as the, as the scene progressed, as the technology got better, um, <clears throat> components got better, uh, you know, wheels got better, you know, you could go, you could go bigger and not worry about tacoing your wheels. Um, everything just kind of played off each other. And for us, it was really just like, kind of like cutting our teeth. You know, Aaron Chase has, has a really cool, uh, uh, rudimentary video, I call it, called uh, "Killing Time," and the the very purpose of that uh, was to show the other side of uh, of riding, not just racing um, traditionally, but you know um, what other types of riders do and how that scene was progressing, and you know doing uh, BMX tricks on mountain bikes as you know, as we, as we'd call it back then. Um, so anyway, so yeah, for us, it was just progressing the scene, having fun with this, like, you know, realizing capabilities, like, Hey, like with, with these new cranks and these pedals, I can grind that, uh, that ledge or that bench, or with these new brakes, I can like gap further and, you know, and just kind of, or you'd watch a video and get inspired and be like, well, let me try what Aaron tried or what Lenowski tried or, um, and then you just kind of go from there. And yeah, as far as the money, um, if you want to comp, you know, maybe you'd get a few hundred bucks. I mean, I think, and, uh, uh, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first rampage where I think it was Wade Simmons that won, I think the total purse was what, 15 or $20,000 at most. Uh, I'm not totally sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, was, yeah, a lot of them were just, you know, it was for the love in the beginning for sure. I mean, I put on a yeah. contest inside a, uh, indoor motocross park called, um, the wham bam thank you jam and we did it in january when nothing else was going on and people flew to portland oregon just to ride this indoor warehouse i mean sevenek oh was gosh. there uh camel <laughs> call was there i mean everybody just flew to portland because like well what else are we gonna do um it's another opportunity to ride a contest to get a contest result that i can add to my thing when i go to interbike at the end of the year uh it's a chance to get in you know decline magazine it's a, uh, you know uh why not? You know, and and so it was interesting as an event. You know, I had my I was trying to do a handful of things at that point, and and putting on events, you could get anybody to show up. It, that was never the question if there was money. I think, I think for that one, I gave them like five hundred bucks for first place. But like, it wasn't about the money really. It was just like, oh, you you put on a contest, like yeah, we'll be there. You That's know, awesome. and and it was really cool. Like that that scene really banded together to to really like push towards that goal. I was having a conversation with Claw um, about a year ago. We were we were talking to the crew that put together Red Bull Formation, the, the women's free ride um, uh, project. And we were talking about how like, yeah, we, we've all slept on each other's floors. Like we've all been to each other's houses and, you know, I brought my camera, he brought his bike and then we put this thing together and, and we just kept, you know, putting shots up until something stuck. And, 
you know, Claude, same thing, like Bear Claw Invitational, right? He just put on his own contest, built his own jumps, invited all of his friends. And, you know, just like that accumulation over many, many years of, you know, not only progression, but visibility and just like, you know, more people getting behind it. Companies finally starting to support it, getting behind it. Um, shout out to our boys at Deity. But, you know, like <laughs> uh, a lot of people like then got on like, oh, I'm I'm not just going to have, uh, you know, cross country bike with uh, BMX parts on it. Now there's a handlebar that's out there. Now there's a set of pedals out there. Now I can do this. Like it wasn't just only riders coming in. It was the industry coming in to support this growing mass of, of events and, and, and rider community. That's very cool. Did, do you think industry had, had, was, was kind of forced into supporting this, this new growth or, or were they just kind of, were the folks from this new growth getting into industry and saying, Hey guys, take a look at this. We need to evolve and, and make, I mean, it, literally this group, help develop the innovation of what we have today. When you talk about rampage and, and Red Bull and all this cool stuff, but was it, was it these writers who got into industry or did industry finally take notice? Well, I think uh, at first there was, you know, hesitation, you know, again, if we're going back, let's say to the, you know, mid to late nineties where things were just kind of starting to, you know, take off. Like I was saying before, again, you really had no choice, but to put, you know, uh, BMX parts or downhill parts on your hardtail cross country bike and, you know, kind of go at it like that. Uh, I would say with the advent of, of, of media, uh, you had um, New World Disorder, uh, the Chain Reaction series from Don Hampton, uh, uh, Aaron with, um, with the Match Video Zine series. As that began to grow and uh, companies started to take notice of this, that, yeah, it wasn't just cross country downhill dual slalom, that there was this whole other scene progressing um, uh, you know, you have writers like, you know, Cam McCall, Bearclaw, um, Seminuk, uh, these guys, you know, Chase, they, they were starting to pioneer this. And by the time you kind of arced to the mid 2000s, um, you know, you had even, even the bigger companies, you know, Trek, Giant, Specialized, uh, Specialized with the, the P1 or P3 dirt jump bike, um, you know, where you could buy a turnkey uh, bike and not have to worry about destroying it in one go around because it was built to handle the punishment. And so, yeah, so I would definitely say by the mid to later 2000s, um, even in some of the early 2000s, Deity uh, comes to mind. Um, again, when that media coming out, you really saw the components and everything just kind of come into its own where companies started to notice, they started making better products. Uh, they started uh, getting insights, um, asking the riders like, hey, what works, what doesn't work and, and uh, getting their uh, thoughts on product development, which was huge in making leaps and bounds over, uh, you know, coming from those 90s and early 2000s scenes of having to like, you know, kind of splodge things together. So I think the industry was in like an interesting place because they they kind of had to to meet the demand of the market. You know, not only was the, the community growing, but their athletes were participating in these things and like, well, mm. this is our guy and he's going to be in this contest. We got to get him the right stuff. And so, you know, you think from Kyle Strait being on Specialized at that point is kind of their golden boy. He's got to have the right bike to ride so that he can go out and win that thing, you know? And, uh, 
And so you've got this massive and and that's really the thanks of all the racers that came over. You know, you look at kind of the start list for the first handful of rampages. And yeah, there's like the BC guys in there, but there's also Cedric Gracia, Kyle Strait, Camp Zink, all racers at the time. And, uh, you know, they got to have the right stuff to ride for an event like that. And the companies have to respond to it for their guys as well so i think that you know we kind of came at them from every every possible angle to demonstrate that the community <laughs> was there but also yeah. with the events like to make sure that their own athletes were prepared for it and had the right equipment because yeah if a bike breaks or whatever that's not a good look they don't, they don't want that you know yeah and I, I i literally love no pun intended on that but i love that the love of the sport created this um created the whole thing i mean they weren't doing it for the money or anything like that they were doing it out of the love like you said, and then luckily they had good filmmakers like you, Aaron, that were helping get that out to the public. So I'm sure that helped a lot in developing where we are today with uh, mountain biking, because I'm sure without that effort, you know, it wouldn't get in front of people's eyes. They wouldn't be able to see what's going on and going, holy crap, that's that's Kyle Strait. Wait, what is he doing over there? What's going <laughs> on? So and I'm sure you got to see a ton of that being a filmmaker. I'm sure you were behind the lens going, what? What's going on here? What was that? <laughs> Did you have some of those aha moments when you were filming these these guys as as the sport was growing? Yeah, yeah I mean, here's some insight, Aaron. Let's hear some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a that was a special thing to to see stuff happen for the first time. Um, maybe one of the more memorable ones that stands out for me is uh, Eric Porter did a double kink rail. So at that point, there were no pegs in mountain biking. You were sliding on basically your crank arm and the, the bottom of your fork. Um, Lord. Drop out. And so to balance down a rail that's relatively long and also has two kinks in it, um, I mean, that was as street as it gets, but that was that was something special to see that and be like, no one's no one's done that yet, you know? Wow. Um, and he did another one in uh, Malaga, Spain that was like ridiculous. And just like a nuance to that, because uh, he had disc brakes and he was grinding on his disc brake side, how did it go? He had to take his rotors off so that he could lock into the thing. So he was doing all these rails brakeless, which is oh terrifying. Gosh. Oh, um, my gosh. But, you know, like at a certain point, too, and, and what was the most special for me, I think, if I'm honest about it, was when BMX kind of came back to us. So the moment for me was when we went to Malaga, Spain, and we rode with Ruben Alcantara. That was like the the welcome home. Like, you guys made it. You're dope. Mountain bikes are cool, you know, because for this whole time, we kind of I felt like we had a bit of a chip on our shoulder. I would watch every BMX movie, all the props movies, Road Fools, all that stuff. I would just consume as much like BMX and skate content as possible because that was cutting edge and they were getting the attention and they were doing the best stuff. And, you know, that's where we wanted to go. And when when we were accepted back in like, oh, Rampage is pretty dope. That's that's heavy, you know, <laughs> or hey, come ride up. Come to Malaga and ride with me, you know, and you're walking through Ruben Akintera's, uh Etnies part, you know, like, isn't that the thing you jumped off of? <laughs> you can't walk over to that, you know, <sighs> going and riding with him and, 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 you know, meeting all those, you know, that were still our heroes at that point. Um, not, I mean, I guess they still are, but, you know, getting to meet them for the first time and interact with them and get respect from them was such a important moment for, I think, so many of us that, you know, we're taking inspiration from them 
from both the filming side and from the riding side and trying to implement it into our sport. Um, that for me was like the moment where I felt like we kind of made it, you know, uh, there are for sure milestones for everybody of when they think mountain biking and free ride really got to, you know, critical mass. But for me being welcomed into the BMX community, the way that we were was the most important. Wow. That's yeah. cool. And, and when you were filming quick, a lot of, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go oh, for it. I was that summer of shred that you were filming for. Is that what you were referencing? Just out of curiosity. Uh, so the, the Malaga thing with Ruben was actually a gravity project, FSA gravity team that, uh, Porter was the team manager for, oh, and right. uh, that was something yeah. that, that he set up. And then I did do a project called summer of shred for the following two years after that, which it was a little bit different, uh, thing. We, we basically went to a bike company and we said like, Hey, we will ride every single one of your bikes with like the top pro in that category. We'll go around the world and do it. It'll be sweet. Um, just give us one of everything. <laughs> and uh, it actually worked out really well. It, it was funny at the end of the first year when we actually did do it. I mean, we went to Africa with Hans Ray. We filmed with uh, downhill bikes with Greg Menard. Uh, we did dirt jumping with Timo Pritzel. Like we went all over nice. the world and did all this stuff. And and I remember kind of having the recap conversation with uh, Jill Hamilton at Haro. And she's like, I thought maybe you'd get like half of those things done. Like the fact that you guys actually pulled it off. Surprise. <laughs> you know, pretty cool. But yeah, we get to ride uh, with Ryan Nyquist at the unit. That was really special. That was another one of those moments that was so surreal to be like, we're riding bikes with Ryan Nyquist, you know? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Look at me. Look at me, mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I have to say real quick, personally, probably uh, like on a, a personal proud moment, um, uh, Aaron, you probably know uh, Scotty Kramer. Um, he's, he has his own YouTube channel now. Well, when I was in the service, I was actually stationed near the Incline Club, which is where his park was. And uh, I mean, to say that kid was a ripper would be the understatement of the century. And, uh, you know, he's going around airing out the whole park like, you know, he's like 360 tail whipping something I'm just trying to gap and I'm just like I gotta find something else to do um, but uh, I went up and I did this like trial this pivot trials move on the sub box where I like pivoted up on my front wheel got to back wheel like balanced and dropped in and he was like dude I can't even do that that's sweet and I'm like all right, it's Scotty Kramer. <laughs> yeah. Put one up for put one up for a triple whip. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. Oh man, dang you guys! That that's that's awesome. What do you think? Um, and this is for both of you guys with the sport and how it was exponentially growing, and you guys were capturing this and, and in it. Do you think that the advent of the GoPro actually helped it even catch fire more so? Yes. Uh, I can tell you that what the GoPro uh, option used to look like in the past was uh, we called it a clamshell and it was a, it was a box that was about like, Hmm. It, I don't know about this big <laughs> and, uh, and you'd have to wear a backpack and then you would have this long cord that came out and then there'd be like a heavy thing that was on your helmet somewhere that was definitely like waiting you one way or the other. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> uh, it's, it was not pleasant. And so we didn't do a lot of POV. Like, I don't even know if I had any POV footage in any of my films, but it was such a pain. And, and, and also like, 
you know, the other element that that uh, the GoPro has, it's all digital. So the first, actually, I think the first nine, maybe first 11 movies that I made were all DV tape. So you would mm. film it and then you would go back and you do this thing called logging and capturing where you'd go through and you'd set these in and out points. Like, okay, I want a clip that starts at minute one and ends at minute three. And you'd go through the whole tape and do that. Hopefully it was all the same timeline, which sometimes didn't happen. That was totally different thing. Um, and then you would tell the computer and it would go, it would rewind the tape. It would pull all the clips off and digitize it off the tape. That process was, you know, for a one hour tape, that's a three hour process. Wow. And a GoPro, none, you just drag and drop like, oh, I want that clip, that clip, that clip done. And it takes five minutes to transfer over or whatever. So like even setting the POV thing aside, being able to produce content at that much faster of a pace opened doors for a lot of people. And especially like, you know, I had a DV deck and I had the computer, whereas with, you know, the GoPro, you just plug it in your computer, drag and drop and you can post it right to YouTube, you know? So it simplified the process. And I think that simplifying the process of content creation was more important than just having a, a new way to shoot footage. Mm, that makes and sense. Kind of, kind of piggyback on what he was saying about um, content creation. Uh, a few months ago, I was talking to a uh, filmmaker, uh, Reed Mershat. Uh, he is another pioneer of, uh, uh, yeah, Aaron, Aaron knows him, who I'm talking about, of, uh, of uh, trials videos. He, uh, in 98, he had um, Revolution, which uh, I, I mentioned that specifically because that was the first, I mean, besides like watching a Hans Ray video, Revolution was the first uh, Trials uh, video I saw where it's like really next level riding. I mean, to this day, uh, especially Ryan Leach's uh, section, that riding is is uh, is just incredible. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then so on from there. But uh, I was talking to Reed and he was saying himself that, I mean, compared to the early days of producing these videos, I mean, now you can go out with an iPhone, your Final Cut Pro, um, and and a good rider in essentially in a couple days make similar to, to, to a video that took me months to, to produce and edit and add all the effects in and everything. And so from that standpoint, um, it's great that it, um, <clears throat> it basically takes what once was way out here of producing and creating content and it brings it in. So now anybody can go out and, and get a GoPro or an action camera and with a little bit of, uh, of equipment, tripods, gimbals, uh, film some, you know, film some pretty good stuff and then, and then um, edit it together uh, to kind of take it a step further. Um, Thor Wixom, the producer of the down series um, and the jib series was talking about this where it's, uh, with the advent of you know social media and every, basically everything modernizing, it's not as uh, easy to make a profit. You know, producing, you know, having a ten or twenty thousand dollar budget to produce a, a full length bike video when when you have you know YouTubers that produce weekly content um, of any type of riding you want to see. So I would say that's kind of like the give and take of, of just the progression of things. So on the one side, much easier to produce content and it's more accessible to people on the other side, trying to, if you're going to make a living at it, um, you know, unless you have other side income or you have, you know, YouTube, a successful YouTube channel, uh, that part of it is more difficult because back then, I mean, these videos were 25 and $30, even 
back in the nineties and two thousands. And, and, you know, you'd wait months or years even for the next video to come out so you could see the latest riding. And like I said, now it's like every week on YouTube. So, um, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely uh, almost like a little juxtaposition of how this, the filming scene has changed, um, which overall I think for the better, but, um, yeah, that's kind of just the, the progression of things. So. Wow. Progression has been the key to the whole story that we've been talking about. It's, it's cool to see it from where it started to where it's gone um, in writing, in the types of writing, and then even in filming, it, it's very, very cool. Um, but speaking of writing, you guys, let's get over to the section of the podcast. And by the way, thank you for sharing that that history and that, and that background. That was, that was really cool to know that the modern style of, of mountain biking that we have now, this the free ride type stuff, was all based out of the love of the sport and, and not driven by anything else. That's uh, that's really pure. That's so cool. Um, but let's get into let's get into trail talk. And um, for you guys both as writers, um, are there any trails that you guys would like to highlight and talk about? Mm. Uh, Aaron, I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I live in more travel than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, I I'll give you two. I'll give you an, an OG one and a, and a current one. Um, so I actually live in Portland, Oregon, and we just got our first downtown bike park. It's called Gateway Green. And um, Portland is, you know, supposed to be this like big bike city, bike friendly, you know, everything. I think a lot of other cities have come for that title in the last couple of years. But um, Portland really has been working hard on this place called Gateway Green. And uh, it's like the newest spot in town. It's got you know, proper jumps. It's got uh, proper pump track. It's got cross country trails. There's a nature play area. That's like actually a, a disguised trial section. That's really fun. <laughs> um, and it's just kind of cool to finally have a place in, in, uh, in Portland that, you know, cause for, for being as bike friendly of a city, the closest actual trails are about 45 minutes to an hour away from town. So um, as a mountain biker, it's always been kind of conflicting to live here because you think you're moving to a bike city and there is like great street riding and, and, you know, pump tracks and stuff around. I had a pump track in my yard for years, but, uh, and a lot of other friends do as well, but, uh, to get actual mountain bike trails or, or any, any sort of real riding has been difficult. So a uh, big shout out to Portland for finally pulling it together. Um, nice. Portland. and, yeah, good uh, job, Portland. And I just want to, uh, I'll, I'll give you an OG trail. This is sort of a trail. I feel like it's a good chance to tell you this story and I'll go quick. Uh, it's in Andorra at the world cup. And, um, this was the first year of us filming, uh, or producing the live broadcast for the UCI world cup downhill series. This is before we did cross country and that stuff. And uh, it, this was on Freecaster pre Red Bull TV, and we were paying for satellite time for the live uplink out of our own pockets. And uh, this was the year that all three Athertons won. So Rachel won downhill, Dan won four cross, and she won the downhill. And uh, it was raining. And, and that course was, I mean, this World Cup course, right? They're all gnarly, but it was raining that weekend, and it was a very muddy, sloppy course. Uh, it, it was one of the gnarliest courses, maybe next to Val de Sol that I didn't even like walking down as a filmer. And, uh, the rain meant that it slowed everybody down and you buy 
satellite time in one hour increments and it's oh. 4,000 euro for an hour. Of oh. And at this point we weren't getting any support financially. We were just like paying for it through Freecaster through like other projects we were doing. We're just, this was our baby cause we believed in it, you know? Um, it's like, it's kind of like airport Wi-Fi. Like it's, you didn't even know it existed. And then all of a sudden it did. And then you complain about it. Right? People yeah. would complain or whatever, but we were just doing it for the love. So anyway, so I'll wrap up the story here, but basically the last day it, we're waiting for, you know, G qualifies first. He's coming down the mountain. It's muddy. So actually the mud has slowed everyone down considerably. And our window that we usually do our broadcast is getting really tight. And we're sitting there in the booth, me, Warner, the, the whole crew. And we're like, is he going to make it across the finish line before our satellite time is done? Oh, my God. Should we should we pay 4,000 euros for an additional 30 seconds? Or maybe it's a total waste. Like, what do we think? And we're like, ah, let's just let's just run it and not, oh. not you know, <laughs> save the money. And uh and so G is, you know, in the lead, he's coming down, he's ahead on all the splits on this trail. And, uh, you know, he's right in the final shoot. Looks like he's going to win. And no, he, he cuts out the oh. internet forums go crazy. <laughs> I, think I remember hearing about that. I've been but, robbed. <laughs> so that's the behind the scenes. If you were watching it on Freecaster that year, I'm sorry. Uh. Oh okay. my god! <laughs> and I'll uh, I'll put my Venmo if you want four thousand euros. And shit, real quick, shout out to uh, to Rachel. I believe she's having uh, uh, she's getting ready to have a, a baby in a few months. So that's uh, cool. Shout out, uh, shout out to her. So those are my those are my two trails. Sorry, yeah. that, those are those are great trails, and that was an awesome story. Holy cow. I bet everybody was like, what happened? What happened? <laughs> we knew it. We were like duck and cover out of that production booth. <laughs> change, change your jackets. Put your shirts inside out, fellas. Let's get out of here. <laughs> well, that was a rough one. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Thanks for sharing that one. That's cool. That's very cool. I So for trails, I guess for me, I'll just kind of go through a quick list. Um, so growing up on the East Coast, um, there's if you're in if you're in Massachusetts, uh, New England, um, there's um, Vietnam, which is a real technical, cool spot in, in mid uh, mid mass. A lot of um, ladder bridges and teeter totters and all kind of stuff to play around on um, uh, Highland Mountain Bike Park in New Hampshire. That's that's a really fun one. Uh, they have an indoor uh like practice area. They have tons of really cool trails. Um, my buddy, uh, Brian is actually a riding instructor there. Um, awesome people, uh, great vibe, uh, Sunday river, Maine. Um, that's another great, uh, network of, uh, uh, trails there. Um, and, uh, I have to real quick mention Missouri, uh, cause I used to live out there for a little bit. Actually just real quick, funny story. So the rep that I work with Pat, um, at giant, he, he lives here in Arizona. Um, I was over one time, uh, we were there having like a family dinner with me over and, uh, I knew that he was from there and his wife had mentioned that when she was in college, she worked at this McDonald's on, uh, on Manchester road and my jaw hit the floor because again, here it is 20 plus years later, just 
you know, I happened to move to Arizona. They happened to be there, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I said, was that the McDonald's that it was like kind of shaped like a rectangle and it was near the Schwinn bike shop? She goes, yeah. And I'm like, we used to eat there after riding street back in the late nineties, you know? Um, so, uh, so I have to mention Castlewood state park, um, awesome place to, uh, to shred some trails. And then real quick to finish up here in Arizona, um, I live in Tucson. So we have, it's really cool because a lot of people think, you know, desert and, and all that, but it's actually pretty diverse. Um, so we have like Sweetwater, Fantasy Island, uh, Star Pass, and then on the mountain, Mount Lemon, which is 9,100 feet elevation right here, just in the back Ooh. of Tucson. Um, we have Bug Springs, which is popular. Um, actually, if anybody follows uh, Nate Hills, uh, he was here. He, he even might still be here. Um, he did the 50-year trail. He did Bug Springs. He did La Milagrosa, which is fun but rough. Um, and then at the very top of Mount Lemmon, you have Aspen Draw, which is pretty much like a northeast downhill trail. And, you know, needless to say, I was I was pleasantly shocked when I got up there. And, you know, it's like I'm back, I'm back home again. I'm back east, you know. Um, so those, those that have to be my, uh, my trail, uh, trail shout outs for this. Those are great trail shout outs, man. And you were talking about East coast trails. Um, guys, what, what do you guys think is the difference between East coast riding and West coast riding? Cause I've heard that from other people that it's different and I, I don't, I've never rode back East, so I don't know the differences, but it, or is there a difference between East and West coast riding? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, here, Aaron, I'll let, I'll give you a chance there to jump in. Well, <clears throat> I moved to the Northwest where there's loam everywhere. So I'm, I can't, uh, I can't totally, I feel like <laughs> I hit it just right. It's so fun and soft and hero dirt every day up here. So, um, <laughs> that my memory of riding on the East coast was that it was way harder and gnarlier and just like rough. And, uh, and you had to be tough to ride on the East coast. I remember, uh, whereas yeah, West, I don't know. Now I'm not saying it's soft out here by any means, but it's definitely not as gnarly. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Aaron pretty much hit the nail on the head with that. So yeah, uh, East coast riding is really choppy, really technical. Again, um, uh, for those watching, you can hop on YouTube and look at some of the chain reaction videos, um, especially the earlier ones that had more of the racing in it, like chain reaction two, chain reaction three, um, you know, Plata kill, uh, the, uh, I think it's just Mountain Creek now, the formerly uh, the Diablo Freeride Park, um, Mountain Creek, New Jersey, all, all Maine, so Sunday River, uh, super technical, gnarly, chunk, steep. Uh, even flat, even, you know, cross-country trails are going to have uh, rocks and roots and, um, yeah, just very uh, technical riding, which is kind of what segued into the trials riding. You know, I was already riding these technical trails and my older friends – again, in kind of Aaron Chase's group, we're do, doing the trial stuff and the street stuff. And so it just kind of progressed. And it's cool because they play off each other when you have technical trails, but you're doing uh, technical type riding, trials riding. It's really cool because they they kind of play off each other. Um, and then, so coming out here, uh, definitely much more mellow, much more flowy, open. Um, you know, again, when you go to Mount Lemmon, there, there is some chunk and some rough. Um, but overall, yeah, these trails are much more, uh, uh, easier 
on you on you and your and your bike. I would say um, you know d- definitely have sealant and tubeless though because the cactus and thorns out here will most certainly uh, put a stop to your ride pretty quickly without pr- some flat protection. So, um, but for me, I love the diversity. Just to wrap this up, um, I'm very fortunate to travel back for the summertime and ride back east and you know get to ride all those trails and then come back here and you know kind of mellow out a bit um so again yeah just a great kind of diversity of riding so whenever i think about east coast trails i think about those brooklyn machine works shin burgers (laughs) (laughs) that's the epitome of east coast everything i don't know it's just it's like a a meat mallet or whatever with Literally, like you couldn't pay me. Maybe if you gave me a winning lottery ticket, I would ride those. But yeah, the Brookline uh, and anything Brookline machine works is needless to say is going to be burly and just, you know, ridiculous. Like the carpeel bikes that, you know, Josh Bender (laughs) used to ride off 50 foot cliffs, you know, anything in that arena is just going to be crazy burly. So dang, dang, that is, that is crazy. Yeah, that is quite a difference. I mean, in SoCal where I am, there's a lot of loose over hard. Um, and then after it rains, you know, a couple of days after it rains, we get that hero dirt for a little bit and everyone's out, you know, PR, PR, PR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a good, it's a good time. Um, so guys, speaking of, I see you guys have the deity and the giants on, uh, the mm-hmm. shirts on and, uh, thought we'd get over into the product spotlight part of the show product spotlight <laughs> if uh if you guys want to share or shout out to any sponsor or product or anything that you're you're upgraded your bike to or rocking or loving um would be a good time to do that if you wanted to go aaron did you want to go first sure uh yeah eric and sadie at Dave, uh, deity uh thanks for hooking me up always i've known those guys forever they actually uh lived in oregon originally and so i had a chance to kind of see them kick things off and um, they've they're amazing people and they make awesome stuff. So shout out to Eric and Sadie. And now they have like a full crew of all kinds of people that are working with them. Ian Highlands is there now. I mean, I actually got a pretty stacked crew, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I actually, that was the only, um, that was the only update I made to my bike was, uh, was I put high side bars on, on the bike um, on my new trials bike. So um, nice. yeah, fantastic. That's great. And there was a person in the audience I saw, um, Adam Mock, who asked the question earlier. He is also a deity writer and he is for content creation. So he's a, a YouTuber like me, creates content and uh, deity is is starting to pull in folks mm-hmm. like that to kind of help out with uh, with what they're doing. So that's pretty cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Shout out to deity. <laughs> yeah. And secondary shout out to deity. I actually have their, uh, one of their, um, carbon bars on my, on my giant. So, um, and they've been, they've taken some, they've taken some good hits. So, uh, you know, definitely, uh, an excellent product and, um, uh, yeah, you know, big, uh, big shout out to them. And like Aaron was saying before earlier, you know, they've been in the team for a long time and was one of the OG manufacturers to really start to cater to, the uh you know the more trialsy dirt jump kind of crowd as that scene you know started to progress i remember seeing their ads and decline and um yeah they, they make a uh, they make a burly product and they stand behind it so yeah definitely a shout out to them um yeah. and for myself yeah um you know giant bikes they've been awesome at uh at helping me out it was a pleasure um 
traveling around with those guys last year and kind of, you know, just getting to, uh, the, I mean, really the bigger thing, you know, besides just the brand is getting people out on bikes. You know, when we go to these demos, talking to them, seeing what type of riding they like to do, um, you know, finding the right bike for them, the right fit, and just, um, you know, just getting them, I mean, now more than ever with, you know, everything going on to uh, have people get out there and, and just ride and enjoy um, the trail, whatever bike they might be on. But, um, you know, definitely shout out to Giant and also O'Neill uh, um, uh, Protection. They do a lot of motocross stuff, but they also have um, a fair amount of uh, bike stuff that they do. And they've been, I've been with them since 2000. So, yeah, oh, wow. it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a few minutes. Um, so yeah, Giant and O'Neill um, are definitely, um, you know, the, uh, the shout outs that I have to give. Oh, and if you ever do come to Tucson, um, I have a shop with a friend of mine called Tucson bicycle service. Um, we do all kind of custom stuff, builds, wheel builds. Um, we're, you know, the owner and I are, you know, we're, we're free riders and riders ourselves. And, and so we love that whole scene. So, um, yeah, we're on the corner of 22nd and fourth. If you guys are ever in Tucson, stop by and see us. That's great. If they're out there and, and um, they need some kind of a wheel setup or break anything, they can they can hit you up. And we'll make sure that uh, we get your information out on the show notes as well. And then uh, just to go back to both companies, you know, what I love about Deity is they're awesome. Their their style. They got lots of color. They they pop on what they're doing. And even their website is very is very standoutish with what they have. Even your shirt, the way that the font is on on Deity. Um, it, yeah, show it up, Aaron. <laughs> it's cool. But was that Aaron? Was that a is that a private company that's held by that that husband? Was it a husband and wife that you referred to their their names? Oh yeah, Eric and Sadie. Uh, as, as far as I know, I'm not really sure on on the back end, but I, as far as I know, I mean, th when they first started it, Sadie was um, you know working full time, and and Eric was just in this like little home office, like working on stuff and. You know, he would tell me like, hey, you know, like I'm working on stuff right now that's like going to come out in like five years. And it's so cool when I get to hang out with him now. I'm like, this is the stuff you were working on, like, wow, you know, way back then. And and uh, just to see how much like time and intention and yeah, he, he's really, uh, yeah, like just built it up so cool and just so proper and like made the right decisions the whole way and just kept the integrity intact and yeah, like all the respect in the world for those guys. Um, and it makes it easy to want to run their stuff because it's actually a great product, but then like, you know, what went into it and how much thought and care and, and yeah, like super easy call. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And how long have you been with, are you in a, a deity ambassador or do they sponsor you, you and your trials racing uh, and riding? I don't know. I've just been kind of like part of the family since the jump. Um, there's no like agreement or anything. I just, I love those guys and, and uh, they take good care of me. So um, awesome. yeah, yeah. I'm just fired up for everything that they do and I want to see them succeed just, you know, as much as they want to see me succeed. So it's, it's awesome. That's very cool. Yeah, definitely. Big shout out to deity folks out there. If you're listening, sounds like uh, that also started out of love and passion as well. So that's always a, a good spot. That's always a great spot. And then Chris with you with giant, I know when I met you, you are a giant ambassador and it sounds like you go out and you do when it was non COVID, you, you go out and do demos to kind of be an outreach to the public in, in getting into biking. Is that kind of what happens? 
Yeah, it was kind of a mix of things. So uh, before COVID, um, and, and a lot of a lot of bike companies do this, where they have a demo truck, and you'll uh, they'll stop at different locations and basically bring out all the new bikes, and you know you sign a waiver and 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 go uh, you know try the bike out and get questions answered, uh, you know give us feedback. What do you think about the bike? And so um, I did that. I've been doing that for the last uh, three years. And it's been uh, been fantastic. Um, everybody I've had the pleasure of working with. I mean, it, it is a bigger uh, company. It's actually, I think, one of the, if not the biggest uh, bike manufacturer um, currently. But um, everybody does a good job at, at kind of keeping it uh, local and, um, again, promoting the product, but also, uh, you know, getting people out there on bikes and, and making sure they got the right bike. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's been a real uh, good experience. And for myself, I also have a background in sports science, um, which also plays into it because I do, um, I'll do some coaching on the side. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like skills clinics, um, you know, just, just kind of in small groups. And of course I'll have all my, you know, my giant stuff and, and, you know, to, to have that side of it. Um, but again, I'm just really thankful for the opportunity to use this kind of like Aaron talked at the beginning to use the skills we've learned and the techniques we've learned with these awesome bikes that we have to, um, you know, to kind of bring that out to people and, and inspire them to, um, get to whatever level they're looking to get to or, you know, learn a wheelie or learn to go down a, a drop or something. And so uh, Giant has been a great uh, help in in achieving that with um, with with everything that they've, they've done for me so far. So you know, shout out to shout out to Giant. <laughs> and that's awesome. That's very cool. It, and you guys we were just mentioned you just mentioned bikes. I, I almost forgot to ask you, uh, what are your what are the current bikes that you're running right now? <laughs> it's a long list <laughs> what is the bike you ride the most <laughs> uh i'm riding an inspired foreplay which is essentially the same bike you see danny mccaskill ride it's a street trials bike uh, it comes as actually a complete bike and like i said the only thing i actually changed on it was uh the deity bar actually i put their grips on too but um that's really all i needed to change on the bike I actually i put in uh i made the one biggest thing that I made a difference for me that I didn't expect was uh, I've never changed out stock disc brake pads before, but I put the high performance disc brake pads in the Magura MT7s and it's like game changer. I'd, I've been blowing it all these years, I guess. I I just took whatever was the stock brake pad because disc brakes are great. And uh, and truthfully, like most of my trials bikes just have uh, rim brakes anyway, but uh, this is my first proper bike with you know, real disc brakes and, uh, and, uh, that made a big difference. So that's my, my main one. I also have a mod bike. Uh, also have like a hardcore competition style trials bike. And then, uh, I've got a diamondback proper mountain bike and, uh, just built up a Santa Cruz chameleon. So I can do a bit more of the mountain bike tutorial trial stuff. Um, that's really kind of like a lot of what I'll be working on in the next couple months. Wow. Sweet. Man, that's pretty, it's a pretty sweet quiver. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, having the um, having the inspired foreplay. When are we going to see some of those uh, Danny Mac style foot jam whips? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm working on uh, on some more of the front wheel stuff. Like the the reverse nose wheelie stuff is super exciting and like pretty fun to learn. Uh, it's just getting that balance point right. It's interesting too because you know my whole life I, I either rode mod bike 20 inch or stock bike 26 inch, and this bike's 24 inch wheels. So 
you have to readjust and reorient all your balance points to another wheel size. Right. So it's not the end of the world by any means. I actually, I feel like I lose a little bit of power from 26 to 24. Um, but uh, yeah, getting the balance points and figuring out like how far over the handlebars can I go on my front wheel before I you know, before. tip over has been, uh, that's been like the majority of my time really getting to know this bike and, and figure out where the balance points are. Um, so I guess the short answer is soon, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, work in progress for sure. Oh yeah. No, yeah. No, no easy task. Those, you know, those guys make it, you know, make it look easy, but you know, anything, anything front wheel is, is far as I've come as a rider over the last 20 plus years, front wheel stuff is, uh, it's kind of a bane. I gotta say, it's just, you know, some days you're good and some days it's like, you know, just like manual. Some days you can manual all day, and others you're just like toppling <laughs> over. So, um, okay, so bikes. I've kind of dwindled down a bit, um, but I have my main bike, which is my 2020 uh, Trans Advance. Um, awesome bike. It's kind of at this point my kind of do everything bike. I mean, I'll trials ride with it and trail ride. It's a 140, 150 bike, uh, carbon frame um with the eagle the uh, 10 by 50 uh setup on there which is uh which is great and the bike has really been um you know uh, phenomenal um you know as far as the abuse that i (laughs) that i put it through as my as my main bike um definitely kind of a a jack of all trades uh, type thing um and then i have a hardtail just kind of a more basic kind of cross-country bike that I'll get out and, you know, put some miles on. Um, I did have a road bike for a bit that I, uh, that I sold. I just, man, just spinning for hours and going, you know, 50 miles and having a sore behind. I, I'm like, uh, I'll just, I'll sell it and I'll, I'll, you know, put it towards, uh, um, you know, towards more mountain bike stuff. Um, and then, uh, I have a beach cruiser that, um, you know, maybe if I come and see you out there sometime, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll have a reason. I don't know how close to the shore you live, but, you know, find a, find a reason to use that. Um, and then I'm looking at getting uh, some type of uh, trials bikes. I, I'm six foot two and tall and lanky. So mod bikes kill me. The last time I rode my friend's mod bike, I kept flipping over backwards because, you know, you get used to riding mountain bikes and, and a certain amount of force to pull up you know, to get those to bunny hop and then you get on a 17, 16 pound mod bike and it's like, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, so yeah, so that's kind of what I'm rocking now. And so, yeah, I'm deciding between either like an inspired, like what Aaron has or some type of street trials. Uh, I had a couple of dirt jumpers. I sold those. Um, but, uh, yeah, so maybe another dirt jumper or kind of, a um, kind of a, a mix, like a, you know, street trials bike that you can, you know, take off ramps or take to skate parks or something like that is, uh, uh, hopefully in maybe the next month or two here. So, yeah. That'd be awesome. You know, when I met you, were you on the 2020 trance bike at the time? Like you saw me on that had the blown, uh, rear hub. Uh, that was my, that's my main bike that I, uh, that I use. And then I hopped on my buddy's uh, Da Vinci 
to yeah. um, which was 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 nerve wracking to say the least because like yeah. I said in on the spot with those small tires you know you're just fighting the bike to stay on the line the whole time mm -hmm. and then there's the exit line see it's one thing to do the white line but you got to do the exit line you know you gotta you can't just stop and then get off the bike and like hand it down to somebody you know you got to ride that sucker out and so i i did the the exit line down to the down to the bottom so to do that first try on you know somebody else's bike was uh was pretty cool to uh to get that and then to conquer that fear of finally getting down that you know that last part was um was uh was pretty cool um yeah. and besides the video that we have uh if somebody if people watching want to see a more a, a detailed uh video of it uh eric porter who aaron um referenced earlier uh does it with um oh, seth seth's bike hacks which is now um burn peak burn peak yeah um they have a whole uh section on it where eric um is very patient with seth and just slowly gets into <laughs> to do it so um but yeah awesome fun thing more of a novelty thing you know it's more of a pro line um i think people if they're going to look at it or consider it definitely be careful know your limits as with anything um you know and, and if if you're not feeling it you know it's better to live another day than to uh uh, you know, go out, not the way you wanted to. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any coming back if you fall on the white line. Right. I mean, yeah, there's a drop is probably going to do it for you. Yeah. And for the folks who, who are listening, the white line is this, I don't know how many feet up in the air it is, but it's literally a white line on the side of a rock that goes out to the whole time you're you're on the edge of a cliff basically. And the further you go out, the, the deeper this cliff gets and at one point you hit this, the end of it, it's like a tree or, or the, the end part. You literally have to turn 90 degrees and almost head straight down, almost down a vertical wall, stop, make another 90 degree turn and head back. And what was interesting about the day, if you hadn't seen the video folks, um, when Chris gets there, he is on his buddy's bike because his bikes drive train blue. So he borrowed his buddy's bike, his buddy's bikes rims, you were, or your wheels, what were your wheels, a 2.5 or 2.6? Yeah, 2.5 with a 30 or 31 millimeter wide uh, carbon rim, and his were 27 with a 2.3 tire. And I, if you remember the first time I did it, I yes. actually folded the tire over and burnt it. You burnt it? it. Yeah. Uh, on, on the turn, like I made it down the thing, and then right when I turned, it just popped off the rim, and I just had to like, watch the walk the bike back like totally sketch just to try to see if i wanted to do it again so i'm like yeah i don't know if this is going to happen <laughs> dude that was that was sketchy because you were literally making the turn in like in trials form you were on your back wheel hopping and turning the bike and then it burped on that off-camber slope oh, off lost yeah. all your air and you can hear the rim as you're still trying to bounce you can hear the rim going tink 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 off the yeah. rock and and that was that was crazy because you're the furthest point out, which is also the farthest drop down. Yeah. And uh, luckily, you you walked it back. You were safe to walk it back. And then the wind started picking up. And we were putting CO two cartridges back in there. And I was telling you, I'm like, I don't know, Chris, dude, you don't have to do this, <laughs> but you you kind of had it in your mind you were gonna make it happen. Yeah. Um, and when you lined up to drop in the second time, the winds really picked up. But then also, all the tourists started noticing that you were gonna do it. And I remember people trying to take pictures of you when you were trying to set your focus 
you know, you were getting ready to make the run and there were people yeah. standing on the white line in front of you, like trying to take your picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was crazy. Um, but yeah, if you get a chance, folks, ch check out that uh, video of Aaron riding the white line. That was, that was pretty amazing. You mean me? <laughs> I'm sorry, Aaron. I was looking at Aaron. I meant Chris, uh, Chris triple whip. He's riding the white line and that was pretty, that was pretty amazing on a buddy's bike on a second attempt with the wind. Yeah. 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 The people watching, I don't mind. Um, you know, I've kind of, you know, I have a background in acting a little bit in theater. And so you kind of you know, get used to stage fright and, and people watching you. It's just more of the, White line is all about just keeping focus, looking two to three feet ahead of you, not looking to the left, just maintaining focus, maintaining composure, control your breathing, um, you know, just think logically, methodically, okay, now we get to this part, now we now we do this part, and, you know, you're just constantly shifting your, your focus to the next thing, and you're just kind of walking yourself through it and just taking it uh, – uh, step by step uh, real quick like I, when I teach people doing drops you know it's basically two things like you roll into the drop rolling up to the drop your vision is going to be where your takeoff line is when you get to your takeoff line you're going to automatically switch to where you want to land because the bike goes where you look and mm. um, so and that was actually this uh, the last week this last weekend I was in Sedona and got to ride with uh, Dusty Betty got to give her a shout out and her husband Steve Hardtail Party um, and uh, we were demoing some some drops and so again that was another cool opportunity to uh, uh, teach some new riders and or even more experienced riders show them some new techniques that'll help them get better um, so anyway so not to deviate but just to kind of kind of throw that in as as a bonus if you're going to do a drop spot your takeoff. And then when you get to your takeoff spot, your landing, commit, and uh, you know, and you're you're good to go. So, love it. Any tips? Any tips we can get is always a great thing. That's for sure. I, I would love to have you guys back on just to talk about some of these tip tricks that we can we can learn and practice. Um, that would be really fun, uh, guys. Let's move over to the next spot. And luckily, we have a filmer on the show tonight, so this will be interesting to see as well. But um, if you haven't gotten a chance to, um, our guest Aaron tonight has his own YouTube channel. It's called Lootsy Time, and you can find that on YouTube. And it goes back quite a ways. He was telling me some of the videos that he has here. But it's a great aspect to look at a filmer who has a YouTube channel who actually came from the whole growth of this uh, mountain bike movement. So you'll be looking at some of the videos from him if you check out Lootsy Time there. And uh, with that being said, for YouTubers, um, Aaron, we'll start with you first. Who are two of the one or two of the YouTubers that you enjoy watching when you're watching YouTube? As a trials rider, I've got to go with Allie Clarkson to start. I mean, you know, I stole mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there was a, a series that he did where he built up all these old bikes, and all the bikes were from kind of like my original generation of riding. So he built up a Crescent Eloines. He built up all these dream bikes that I always wanted to have, but I was like, you know, a kid working at McDonald's trying to put one bike together. He was riding all the dream bikes. And uh, yeah. it was really cool to, to watch him, like, put this old bike together that was a dream bike, have the ability to ride it to its potential. And, yeah, those though that's, that series that he did was really special, I thought. Um, I'm really enjoying watching him. And, and uh, you know, I, I learned – watching him what he does and 
his take on it. Obviously, as a trials writer, you know, we definitely have uh, a little different approaches to our, our channels, um, but he's definitely been in it for a lot longer and um, yeah, goals for sure. So I put him up there and then um, I would also say Eric Porter. I mean, Porter and I've been homies for a super long time and he was one of the people that kind of uh, inspired me to, to just start shooting and editing again. Um, you know, we used to shoot together and, and he started picking up a camera and editing stuff and he was showing it to me and I was like, man, if only YouTube existed when we were making match videos, you know, I could have just kept doing that. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we, we talked a lot about what he was doing and I was so intrigued by it. And, and I was like, well, I have all the bikes and I know how to make videos. Like it would be really fun to just learn, you know, just like relearn some stuff, learn how YouTube is different from making DVDs like I used to and, uh, and just start putting stuff together. And then the, the kind of final element to the whole thing for me actually was um, I had this goal when I was 18, I broke the the side hop world record. It was 36 at the time, 36 inches. So you're track standing and then you just static hop up and over a bar. I pushed it up to 38 and a half inches. And wow. so, um, so I've always like, that was a, a big moment for me in my riding. And uh, I thought, over the summer, you know, like we're not leaving the house. I got plenty of time. What's a project that I can do and what could I focus maybe the YouTube thing on? And so I said, okay, I'm going to see if I can go out and break my old record from when I was 18 years old. Now I got like dad strength and stuff. So, um, <laughs> you know, but I have a proper bike, you know, all these elements that are coming together. So will I be able to get back to where I was? How long will it take? Um, and actually, yesterday i i broke it so no way uh, yeah That's awesome yeah so friday's video will be mostly like about progression and and uh and growth on you know like bringing it all back together and, and how to judge your progression and growth and stuff so yeah so porter big shout out for getting me back on the horse with the riding and the shooting not that i wasn't riding but uh you know pulling out the camera gear and it was a really fun exercise there's a couple longer clips on my channel that are some of my old footage from shooting with PD. You know, I was there when he won the world champs um, for that, you know, we did so much race stuff, so much free ride stuff. And I just picked my favorite stuff that I had on all the old hard drives and kind of smashed it together and, and narrated a little bit of the backstory to each one. So, um, yep. That's very cool. Check out Lutzi time. And especially this Friday, what time do your videos drop Aaron? Uh, 7 a.m. on Fridays, but sometimes I just drop them right when I wake up, so a little bit earlier. But I know that feeling. You sometimes you have something good, you're like, I'll just drop it right now. <laughs> I'm awake. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, that's great. Congratulations as well on breaking your record. That's phenomenal. Yeah, congrats, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. Like, I, you know, and when I did it the first time, I was, <laughs> again, I was on a cross-country bike with some cobbled-together parts. Now I have a proper bike that is supposed to do that kind of stuff. So, you know, um, I guess aging didn't get to me too much and, and uh, everything kind of balanced back out, you know, but it has been a pretty long six months. I've definitely taught that high jump bar, a few new cuss words, um, you know. <laughs> like, uh, and you didn't have the deity components too back then that, that you do no, now. So, no, we're so, dialed now. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, Chris, how about you, buddy? What do you, what do you uh, watch when you're watching YouTube? 
So real, real quick to kind of piggyback on on um, some of the stuff Aaron said. Um, yeah, so yeah, he's, he's Avatar, from yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, super. Uh, I've been watching him since he had not even ten thousand subscribers, and I think now he's a little over a hundred. Um, great, you know, great content. Uh, just really well edited. He's he's very, he's very honest and. You know, if he's trying to move and he doesn't get it, he'll he'll explain why and how and be like, oh, that left me completely knackered. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, uh, and then Eric Porter um, again. I would say, since we're on that subject, one of the most underrated riders, in my opinion. I mean, just watching him ride from the early days of uh, of uh, Chain Reaction and Killing Time and and the match videos, he's doing the rail grinds and. You know, no matter what bike you put the guy on, he just kills it. And it was just so cool to watch that, whether it's a downhill bike or a dirt jump bike or whatever, you know, BMX bike. And so that was really cool. Um, as far as riders I watch, uh, Nate Hills, um, he does the follow cam Fridays, uh, a lot of really cool stuff. He rides with a whole kind of diverse group of riders, which is, uh, which is really cool, um, very inspiring. And then... Um, it's totally not bike related, but I've been watching a lot of Mr. Beast lately for, <laughs> for, for, for I guess I just like that. They're that funny. My, um, yeah, my son watches that and I watch it with him. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, no, Jimmy's, uh, Jimmy's a cool, cool guy. Um, and then, jeez, uh, yeah, so Nate and then um, uh, we talked about Seth. He's really cool. Um, Hans, uh, Hans has a YouTube channel and, and he's got a lot of really cool uh, content um, to kind of finish up on that note where Aaron was talking about, uh, or you guys were talking about having the proper uh, bikes compared to before where you're just cobbling stuff together. Well, Hans, uh, uh, maybe a few months ago came out with a video where he rides one of his older bikes and like he's hanging on for dear life and, <laughs> and, awful. and you know then he gets on his uh you know 2020 trail bike and it's just you know killing it and you know to show how far um you know bike technology has come you know and which is crazy because again from aaron and i uh you know those bikes were like the cream of the crop back then you know and it's like oh how could it get any better it's like you know all this all this stuff and and then now we look at it and it's like you know belongs in a museum you know <laughs> so anyways yeah those, those yeah. are channels I'd, i would have to uh give a shout out to for uh for inspiration and because it's great to see the older guys you know still uh still doing it you know i mean hans has got to be what 53 54 now something like that and he's still he's still killing it so it gives you know for me in my mid-30s now uh mid to late 30s if you will um you know it gives me hope that um and jeff lanowski too i mean shoot you know they, they're all those guys are, are still ripping like they're it was 20 years ago you know so yeah. it's good stuff it is with the suspension on the bikes nowadays too i mean you know easier on well you can go bigger but it's yeah. uh you could you could ride you could ride for a, a while um guys wanted to uh round the corner with uh, the funny questions. And I always love how people answer these on the show. And I did change them up a little bit. So if you've seen an episode or two in the past, they have changed a little bit. And for those of you watching or listening to the podcast in the future, they've changed a little bit. So uh, if you two are ready, we'll roll through some of these funny questions. 
see how you answer. We'll start with Aaron first and then get over to Chris for the second part of it. No right or wrong answer. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> question question one. Yeah. Question one. Um, as a as a as a mountain biker, uphill or downhill, which one do you like better? Uphill or downhill and why? I mean, downhill is kind of the obvious answer, but uh, truthfully for me, I really kind of like uphill. I, I don't love, uh, you know, the cardio part of it, but uh, it's way harder. <laughs> and uh, I guess just like innate as a trials rider, I'm trying to find the hardest possible stuff to ride. And uh, that's just kind of coming with it. I, um, I actually went on a brief stint as an ultra runner for the past couple of years too. So there's like oh, something kind of mystical about running uphill. And, uh, and so I don't know, like transfers back over to the bike, but yeah, I guess like riding uphill to me is still kind of a game, you know, and it's, it's way harder, but it's, it's, I don't know, I guess maybe I'm just like wired to go do hard things. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great answer. I, I, I'll play a game too. As I'm going uphill, I'll always play the no dabs game. And, uh, if I'm feel like I'm falling, I'm like, no dabs, no dabs, no dabs. And then it's either, ah, or yay. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, how about you, buddy? When riding the mountain bike, which one do you feel is more fun, uphill or downhill, and why? So, yeah, kind of, again, kind of like what Aaron was saying. I mean, downhill would be the obvious answer, and of course it's fun, but the older I get, you know, the more I actually enjoy climbing. This A recent trip to Sedona this last weekend, um, when we did a ride with Dusty Buddy, we ended up doing a lot of climbing because um, we did the, uh, the Scorpion Trail, um, and, and down into that region there. And I think we ended up doing 1,100 feet of climbing Ooh. in just a few miles, if that. So, um, but it, 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 uh, it gets you in shape, you know, it's, it challenges you um, and, and helps, you know, to, to grow your skills. And, and like the lesson I gave in the white line video of like how to get up and over things. If you remember, I even referenced climbing where is if you're climbing and you have to go over a route, you want to go on your, uh, your, your bad foot first and then as you're as you approach the route, you're going to crank forward and lift your front wheel up, and that's going to get you up over that route while you're still climbing, so you can keep your momentum. Um, but if I had just done downhill and just you know been kind of closed off, like you know I was years ago, I, I used to race downhill in the Norba series. Um, you know, you, you you miss all that out on all that skill. So. Um, I would say it's like 50, 50 now, as much as I love downhill, I also love a good uphill and a good challenge to, uh, you know, put the work in and, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep my heart in one piece as I get older. <laughs> I love it, man. You guys are answering these great. I love that. That's so cool. Um, question number two, here we go. What is in mountain biking or any product, any name, but a mountain bike related name, what is the most sexiest mountain bike name (laughs) you can recall and also what is the least sexiest mountain bike name (laughs) i'll go first with the least sexy to say shinburger (laughs) (laughs) shinburger who who in their right mind be like oh that's for me (laughs) Uh, worst pedal name ever all or i don't know Uh, so i'll chime in with the worst uh I'd have to say, I don't know why this just came to mind because this is years ago. It was, uh, 
as a Gary, uh, Gary Fisher was known for, you know, having some weird name bikes and it was called like the Huku Iku bike. It was a hard, basically a cross country hardtail, but I, I was a kid when it came out, but I'm like the Huku Iku. <laughs> like, who named the bike like the, yeah, the marketing the, the branding team's like oh no how are we gonna market this thing <laughs> yeah, or, or no offense to kona because i love kona but the, the stinky you know it's like what bike do you ride oh i ride a stinky was it the a grateful dead tri like tribute bike or something i remember there was some kind of grateful dead gary fisher bike at one point was that it yeah, that you know what that's oh, a good it might be. Um, I, I, that's something I'd have to look up again, but that that could be very well possible. Sound if it is, that's that's very cool. But if if it just saying it out loud, huku iku, it definitely can qualify for the least sexiest. Yeah, or at um, least. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then um, what is the sexiest sexiest name in mountain biking? I mean, it doesn't have to be the bike names either. It could be any product or or. Or like you like like Aaron, the Schinberger. <laughs> I can't think of the most. I'm trying to like recall everything that's been thrown out there. There have been some just horrific names to bike parts, but I'm not. I'm blanking right now. De Deity's a sexy name. Deity's pretty sexy name. What comes to mind, um, there's a brand called Ferrari that I think sounds, you know, because it sounds like Ferrari. Um, I've always liked Orbea for some reason. Just I like how it sounds, um, you know, like, what do you ride? I ride an Orbea. You know <laughs> yeah. Um, sir, we, sir, we've watched your Ferrari. Your Ferrari is ready for the trail. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. What, one of our guests here, this is one of the guys I ride with, Joey Yates. He says, so, What do you think, Jeff's Aaron? Can, can What's that? that? Yeah, that's, I'd say the Jeff C. See, that's more handsome. That's more handsome sounding. To handsome, me. handsome, sexy name. No. <laughs> Aaron's still thinking over there. I got nothing. I don't know. I, he was going to roll a deity up. there. Yeah, I'll think of Bronson's another handsome name. Love it. Um, okay. Question number, what are we on? Three? This is three, right? Yep. Question number three. Aaron, what secret bike conspiracy would you like to start? <laughs> secret bike conspiracy. Mm. I would like to start a conspiracy that, hmm that uh, we'll do a trials-based one, that, that trials riders actually have a special hub that makes the, the wheel do what it does. That's oh. That's my, that's my conspiracy. Oh, is it true? Is, do we not know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a conspiracy. <laughs> my favorite thing to do with, like, uh, we did a shoot with a photographer, um, and Kenny Belay was the the rider, and I, I was like, Kenny was riding and he put the bike down. The photographer was kind of standing there and I was like, he didn't know that I was a trials rider and I got on the bike and I was like, Oh, look at this. It hops on the back wheel. This is, these bikes just do this. This is amazing. And I put the bike down and I just kind of wandered off to the side and I saw the photographer like hop on the bike and like, <laughs> and I was just dying. Where's, where's the on button on this thing? 
that's the best part about being a trials rider. Like no one knows and you can just like, oh yeah, this bike just does that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that's awesome. That's good. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, well, real quick, one one shout out I have to give to bikes. Obviously, I'm wearing this shirt. Is the Giant Rain, um, which is their more like free ride enduro bike. Um, I was always like that, like that name. I was this close to getting one, but too much uh, too much travel and too slack of a <laughs> a head angle for what I do. But uh, I got definitely got to throw the Giant Rain in there. Um, as far as conspiracies, um, I would say. Uh, that playing a uh, mountain bike uh, video game or mountain bike moto trials game, because um, I know those were pretty popular, will uh, will translate to um, you know to be a better rider. So you got like a kid playing the game and then he's out like he wants to jump off his roof or something like in the game and like yeah you got it you played the game right sure go <laughs> for it no problem you'll just stop, just like the guy in the game you'll get right back up. <laughs> yeah it could be where they're the company the industry is taking in data like hmm these are new things that we could be pushing out there in the near future as far as tricks go <laughs> here's one mtb department along along this line says tesla is working on a gas-powered mtb bike <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> uh all right final question you guys and it is this in in mountain biking, what is invisible but you wish others could see? It's hmm. a good question. I would say how much effort goes on for the for the top riders, how much effort they're actually putting on off the bike is the most like invisible thing. You have no idea how hard these guys are working, whether it's, you know, physical stuff, PT or, or lifting weights, uh, managing their, their careers when it comes to, you know, all of the requirements that they have to do, whether it's social media or being in touch with, you know, you've got 10 sponsors, that's 10 people you got to talk to the, the job of being a top rider and still being able to perform at that high level is, I think invisible to a lot of people um, who aren't right there with them and all that stuff. I think it's just kind of an assumed thing. And uh, I would love for people to see that, that kind of shine uh, or to get shine for that, just because that's gotta be harder than most of the training from what I've seen. Yeah. And inspirational to see how they would categorize their day, how they would motivate themselves to get after it and stay consistent with it. Yeah, you're right. That's a, uh... A lot of the stuff for glory is done behind the scenes. That's a great one. Great one. How, how about you, Chris? Yeah, I honestly, I just because it's such a big thing and is really ties into the theme of what we were talking about, we were talking about before with, um, you know, dealing with the hidden struggles of progressing the scene to where it is today. Uh, just like Aaron said, you know, when you're, whether you're a privateer, a YouTube creator, um, you know, there's just a, a private race or whatever. There's so much stuff going on behind the scenes that people don't see, you know, uh, a lot of times, like when I do the, the coaching things, you know, the people say, Oh, I want to ride like you do. And it can't be that hard. Can it? And, you know, obviously you got to maintain professionalism, but part of you just wants to like really just kind of, dump on them and, and show them, no, it's hours of, of, uh, you know, that one back wheel trick you saw me do. Yeah. That took me 
two weeks of hours and hours of practice over and over and over again to finally get it. And then you find you get the hang of it, but then sort of kind of, and you got to keep doing it until you get it solidified. Or um, if you're, again, if you're a racer or a YouTube uh, content creator, uh, filming, editing, um, making it look good, uh, making sure all your sponsors get proper uh, notoriety and uh, making sure the content's good and, and keeping a filming schedule um, where your content is consistent, uh, thinking of new ideas of where to ride, what to do. Um, that's all things that, um, you know, that I think people don't see. And you see it in the comment section, you know, sometimes like Ali, you know, he'll apologize for not coming out with, a video and I want to say like ah like don't apologize like that your viewers should know that you know it's not just like that 20 minutes of footage that you see is hours worth of, of writing and editing and, and putting music to it or, or whatever it might be and um, you know if people could could see that I think there would be much more appreciation as to the amount of work it takes to um, going into into doing all this um, and then the self-teaching aspect too of um, you know for myself like I'm still learning filming and editing and um, trying to teach myself new tricks on the bike like okay I know I can do this but that you know a lot of other riders do this so I need to do this plus this but make sure that I film it properly so all this work I put into doing this new move actually it translates to the camera, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And that's a good thought for you, especially coming from the uh, theater side, you know, always knowing where the camera is. And I noticed that when I was filming you, you always had <laughs> put yourself in a great view and made sure that you were where, where the, the mic could pick you up. That was just natural. I know there he is <laughs> folks. Wolverine in the house. <laughs> um, you guys answered those questions really really well that was awesome thank you guys so much and um you guys thank you so much for being on the show this was this was a really cool journey to to take with you guys and taking us through the whole history of mountain biking and where we've come and then as well ha having aaron having you on the line and talking about the the filming part and then you as a trials writer a trials professional writer um that vantage point so uh what a treat to have you both uh chris it was really good to see you uh, before you guys go, if if we want to follow your journey and see what you're uh, up to, where can we find you guys? In, under what medias can we follow you guys? Uh, yeah, if you want to check me out, uh, I have a YouTube channel called Lutzi Time. Um, and if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just Aaron Lutzi. Uh, that's the best place to find me. I've been putting out these regular videos every Friday and uh trying to do some shorts videos in there as well but uh fridays are the, the big ones so um definitely check it out and uh yeah that's the best place to track me down and that's and that's lutzi with the l-u-t-z-e if you guys want to type that in aaron lutzi on ig and then lutzi time on youtube and how about you chris where can we follow your story sure so my kind of main kind of media median media platform is uh is instagram and facebook um i have a facebook athlete page that i keep fairly regularly updated um just my name chris Nada. um i do have a youtube channel which is right wait a minute right there ride with chris um admittedly there's really not a lot of content on it um getting back into like the whole filming aspect and getting the time to um 
uh, ride and film. You know, we have this new bike shop that we're I'm working on with with my friend, and we're you know busy with that. So, but anyway, so ride with Chris for YouTube, and then uh, uh, my Instagram is uh, Triple Whip One, um, where I post fairly regularly on there on uh, different content and stories and whatnot. So. Um, and shout out to Aaron for coming to this podcast. I reached out to him maybe not even a week ago. And I'm like, hey, man, long time no see. Here's this guy you never heard of. Do you want to do a podcast? So, it's fun awesome. talking about all this stuff. I'm, I'm so pumped to join you guys. And thanks, thanks again for having me. It was awesome. Yeah, you got it. Thank you for being on. I'm going to have to go back and, and uh, look at my notes and stuff because a lot of the names that you guys dropped when you were talking about this uh sport blowing up i want to go back and, and see all that especially that behind the scenes of your the racer with the four thousand euros per hour and you guys were cutting it close to the second and it blipped off man i gotta check that out <laughs> that was a rough one <laughs> <laughs> well thank you guys yeah, so, so much what was that chris oh, yeah, right now that was was that rob warner you said that was on that segment with the euros yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the Euro thing was kind of behind the scenes. That's a not public story until right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the reason why, folks. If you were watching that in that moment, why it blipped off is because you know it was um, uh, executive decisions that had to be made. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but hey everyone thank you so much for being on the show thank you to everybody who's listening to the podcast here in the future um and that is it for the segment podcast tonight again my special guests mr aaron and triple whip one aka chris have a good night everybody you all right see you later Dang, tons of good information on this one. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this one a couple times. They were shouting out a lot of names of writers that I don't recognize, but I know they are famous for progressing the sport into mountain bike free ride like we know it today. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you guys are either going out on a great ride or just got back from a great ride. And I hope you guys were sending it safely. Special thank you again to the sponsors of the show, 7IDP, the Bole Brands, and... Tasco and folks I've been getting requests to make more segment merch so if you want some segment merch um, I did create a link to at least some hats and shirts that is in the link tree link if you take a look at the link tree link which can be found in my IG or um, under the description box for the uh, for the podcast that'll take you over to some segment merch and if there's anything that you'd want me to make or look into uh, let me know But as always, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been episode 24 of the segment podcast. And don't forget, folks, all of your hard work will always pay off. We'll see you guys on the next episode.